Welcome to another episode of the Battlefields and Bourbon Podcast. I'm Jack, joined as always with my co-host Elijah and our reoccurring guest, co-host, co-co-host, <laughs> uh, Mr. Civil War Travels himself, Aaron Seaver. Glad to have you back, Aaron. I'm glad to be here. Um, this is an exciting episode. Very exciting as this, as, as we are recording and when you all are hopefully listening as this comes out, we're in the anniversary of the Battle of Fredericksburg. Um, and that'll be our topic of discussion. It'll be a brief overview with a lot of interesting points, facts, um, and information we're trying to provide as well as dive into during this episode. So this won't be your typical battle narrative episode we've kind of done. Um, we want to leave this kind of open so we can explore Fredericksburg in the future and we will do exactly that. Uh, but to tie in a little bit with our topic today, Elijah, I'll let you introduce what our bourbon is. None other than Bowman Brothers Small Batch Virginia Straight Bourbon Whiskey from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, this one is their baseline kind of flagship product in terms of their bourbon. Um, this one is just 90 proof, about six years old, uh, just a standard small batch. Um, triple distilled in copper distillation uh, equipment. So this one is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, uh, well represented here. I mean, they've got a good... Good bottle here, just like we did with the uh, Isaac Bowman port barrel finish and everything. It's got like the nice picture in the back of the bottle, so I know you'll you'll appreciate the uh, bottle rating here. But this one is uh, Isaac Bowman, but without the port finish. Okay. So if if that if that tells you anything, I mean it's the same product, but just okay. one doesn't have the finish on it. Um, but yeah, this is named after obviously the Bowman brothers themselves. So you're looking at John, Abraham, Joseph, and Isaac all together. Um, I don't know if we went into this on the last uh, time we featured a Bowman product, but these guys were all um, militiamen in the uh, American Revolution um, in Virginia. So local to us. Yeah, Shenandoah Valley. Yeah, Strasburg area, Bowman's Crossing, that kind of thing. That's all them. Um, So yeah, a little bit of local history for us, but given that the uh, current distillery is over in Fredericksburg, uh, can't pick a better one to tie into this episode. So we'll give it a little pop here. Great pop. I don't know. That one was a little lackluster. Okay, it was a terrible pop. Terrible pop. (laughs) I'm excited because this Bowman Brothers was my first bottle of bourbon I ever purchased. A couple years ago, maybe a year ago. Um, So it got you into the whole thing. Well, I was on a uh, mint julep kick, and (laughs) that was my introduction to bourbon. Um, but that story's for another day. And, um, I went to the ABC store and I was trying to buy bourbon. I don't think I was talking to you yet about my purchasing. I wasn't using you as a resource, which I should have done. (laughs) And, uh, I picked up the Bowman brothers bottle. It was probably the only one on the shelf. And I may have seen the port finished logo and didn't want to touch that because I didn't want to mess up my mint julep recipe. (laughs) So I picked up that and, uh, yeah, I thought it was a cool bottle. So it's probably like a a nine and a half or an eight on my bottle rating because I love it. I love, <laughs> the the Bowman bottles are pretty iconic. Yeah, the history buff in us, uh, I think, uh, just loves that that iconic old looking label. Um, but yeah, I mean, this one is. I mean, you couldn't have picked a better one to get uh, started into bourbon with. Um, one thing I don't think I mentioned was um, the A Smith Bowman Distillery is also uh, a Sazerac brand Mm -hmm. so same as you know buffalo trace they're all owned by that same parent company um 
don't know if this is true or not. However, I'm going to throw it out there just in case. So if somebody jumps on the episode and says, oh, that's, you know. Oh, uh, have you mentioned this before? I don't think I did in the last go around. Uh, but there is a, a uh, supposition that Bowman's bourbons are made by Buffalo Trace Distillery. Uh, not sure of the mash bill there. Um, at least distilled twice and then for that third distillation run is done in the copper pot still in Fredericksburg, which yeah. makes it the Virginia straight product. Um, that I think you did, you did say this in yeah, the other one. Yeah. I remember you saying it. So I can't verify that. I'll let somebody else who knows more about it than I do speak up to that. But, um, that's just what I've heard. Um, regardless, great product, but with that, uh, kind of, um, tie in there, Bowman Brothers is uh, very, very reminiscent of, uh, to me, kind of Eagle Rare, a younger Eagle Rare. It's got that same kind of cherry, fruity, floral kind of uh, nose to it that Eagle Rare has. Obviously not as old, uh, about four years shy of being that tenure, um, but it has much of the same qualities, but you can obviously tell it's a little younger. So same, this is same a proof and everything. Yes, roughly six. I mean, with a small batch, you might have some younger barrels. You might have a couple older barrels, uh, that kind of thing. Um, with a small batch, there's no uh, technical definition for a small batch. Uh, I know when you tour the Bowman Distillery, they will say that um, I think they put maybe 10 barrels into their small batch or something like that. It's, very, it's actually a true small batch, whereas other distilleries, like say Evan Williams or something, um, Heaven Hill, doing Evan Williams, I know they said that they do like maybe 400 or more barrels to make one batch. So it's very, there's no cut and dry definition for a small batch. Um, but with that though, uh, speaking of going to the distillery and touring it and that kind of thing, um, if you ever find yourself in the Fredericksburg area to tour the battlefield or the distillery, a Smith Bowman distillery offers free tours and tastings, um, complimentary if you will. Um, so you can just, that's cool. Yeah. Make a trip out of it. And I mean, a Smith Bowman, if you're listening, we still have, Salem Church or Second Fredericksburg to do as an episode. Spotsylvania Courthouse. As well as Spotsylvania Courthouse. So we're more Wilderness. than welcome to pack up the shop and take it on the road <laughs> to you all. So just hit the email. Yeah. <laughs> but let's let's give it a tasting, guys. You can definitely tell it's got a little... It's sweet. A little warmth to it just off of the age. However, it's, I mean... Very sweet, like you yeah. said. It's got that nice ripe fruit. Yeah, I'm getting like sugars and yeah, no, it's very a, sweet. It's a good one. I would guess that the mash bill is probably pretty high in corn, um, like most, you know, probably buffalo trace mash. Whoa, are. Whoa, 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 hey, hey, can't now. be throwing that around. <laughs> no, I don't know for sure, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that to them. But regardless, whoever makes it, they make a great bourbon, and that's. That's all you need to know. Aaron did not shot this one down like in the Pickett's Mill video, so. Trying to be conservative. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Pop this bottle just for this. So a this little more exciting. refined, huh? No, I, this is a good a good pour. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while here in Virginia, it was we were running on like a little dry spell of some Bowman products. Um, Still are with uh, the John Jay, which if oh, you yeah, yeah. get to feature that one on an episode, that one is... I've got a lot of good things to say. I, I have not <laughs> seen that ever in store, personally, because I have probably looked. But within the past year, I haven't seen the John Jay. I haven't seen it in over a year. Yeah. As but of this episode. Bowman Brothers was out for a hot minute. Remember, we could only get port, mm-hmm. port finished. And uh, when I saw this on the shelf, what, the last weekend or whatever, I was like, 
this is what we're doing and now I know what episode we're doing. So yep. no, this is a exciting one. And um, yeah, I think for a little while they were dealing with a glass shortage because obviously, I mean, if, if those of you listening have uh, any kind of uh, idea of what the Bowman brothers or the, any of the Bowman products look like in their bottle, that is a very, very unique bottle. Um, I don't think any other brand or distillery uses that kind of bottle. So obviously if they've got a glass shortage, there's not really any other uh, any other uh, uh, outcome there, so that's why I guess they had a bit of a shortage there for a little while, uh, just oh, due to maybe. the glass supplier or something like that. Post COVID, I know a lot of people were struggling with that, but oh, they got rid of the. I'm looking at our other bottle of Bowman. They got yeah, they revamped that. the label. Well, the ta- the little stamp thing they took the tax off. Tax stamp, the, yeah. yeah. I know the. Uh, I will Sad. say the the uh, new label, the new refined label is. Uh, I don't like it as good as the old one. Bowman, the old one if you're like listening, the, yeah, with the laser etched little uh, just barrel. Go, and go back on. a little bit. Just turn the clock back. Do what you were doing about a year ago. Yeah, the tax stamp and everything. I love that. That looks. That's, that's very classy for that bottle. Yeah. Well, let's hop into it, guys. We are in the anniversary of Fredericksburg. This 1862 battle that often just gets. Not it's. I don't think it gets overlooked. I just think people just hold other battles to such a higher, you know, standard in a way. Fredericksburg's freaking massive. I mean, this is the first. Is it the first largest or not? That doesn't make sense. But the amount of troops engaged, federal troops especially engaged here, is like hundred thousand plus. Um, I mean, it's it's over one hundred and thirty thousand federals. Crazy, 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 crazy numbers. Confederates were like 75,000. 75, 78,000. And there's, so yeah, let's get into that. They're split up, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you want, uh, so you really have to go back to November uh, to really get into the Battle of Fredericksburg. Uh, every every battle seems to be a turning point. Uh, this is one of them. It's not necessarily a turning point in terms of um, the battle outcome or like it changed the war you know, one way or the other for the North or the South. Um, but it is going to be a turn turning point. Uh, you're going to have, uh, George B. McClellan who, you know, he's been in command of the army of the Potomac for a long time. Even when the second Manassas campaign happens, he's still in command of the army of the Potomac. He's just not fighting that battle because they have John Pope and they're making a new army. Of course he will take back over September. September. And fight the Battle of Antietam. So he hasn't really done anything since then. Uh, so Lincoln is is frustrated. And so what he's going to do is he is going to relieve McClellan of command. What is this, like November 7th, 7th. I think? Early yeah. November. Um, November 7th. Uh, he is going to place Ambrose Burnside in command. Now, Burnside is is actually a pretty good general as far as his his tenacity, his quickness, things like that. He's a hard fighter. He is not, uh, he doesn't just kind of sit around and, and hang out. Um, he's not slow. As, as If you look up slow in the dictionary, George B. McClellan's picture is right <laughs> next to it. But uh, Burnside is anything but that. However, Burnside, I would not say, is the most confident as far as it comes to overall Army command. He didn't want it. Um, he, was, he was a McClellan friend. Turns it down Turns when it, offered before. Yeah. And and honestly, the only reason that he takes this command, he's actually um, the the 
gentleman that's sent to tell Burnside he's in command is there to ensure that Burnside accepts the command. He doesn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, because Burnside didn't, didn't want to. Uh, but they'll ride to McClellan's tent on that morning, and they will meet with McClellan. McClellan knew it was coming. He had already heard there was a, a guy coming from D.C. He knew what was happening. Um, so he, he is up. He's actually writing a letter to his wife and uh, when Burnside walks in. And, and McClellan, I've got to give him some credit, he will, he will stay on for a few days to kind of help Burnside figure out the dispositions of the Army, where his where his troops are, um, McClellan was kind of he had already started some movement, but a little a little late uh, to be starting his movement. Um, but he he had started a little bit of movement toward Culpeper in that area. Uh, at that point, Robert E. Lee's army, Longstreet's in Culpeper, Stonewall Jackson's in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, near around New Market, Strasburg, Winchester, all up through there. Um, he is, uh, he is spread out there. So he's kind of on the, on the flank of the union army almost. And when McClellan, when, when Burnside takes over, he's going to quickly realize the plan that McClellan has initially probably isn't going to work. The railroad is not going to be able to support this army. I mean, he's got over 130,000 men. Uh, so he is going to make a decision um, probably to move to Fredericksburg. Before that happens, he's got he's going to talk with Henry Halleck, uh, bring up Halleck because he is going to play a major role in this battle without even being on the field. Uh, Halleck will come and see Burnside, and they will go back and forth about a plan of attack. Um, they don't agree, so Halleck goes back to Washington. Says we'll even in the hands of the president, uh, President Lincoln approves Burnside's plan, which is to move, uh, do a feint toward Culpeper Courthouse and move south toward Fredericksburg and then on down to Richmond. But Lincoln has the little caveat to it. He says, uh, he tells Halleck, I'll tell Burnside, yeah, I think this will work if you move rapidly. Now, you got to think, he's been dealing with McClellan. So he's, he's saying that as a reinforcement. Because McClellan never moved rapidly. But anything faster than anything uh, faster, McClellan, yeah. then it's um, fast enough. So, so, but he's telling Burnside, he's like, it, you've got to move quick. Because if you don't move quick, it's not going to work. And Burnside will move quick. His army will get to Fredericksburg well before the Confederates. The big problem is Henry Halleck. Uh, Burnside lets Halleck know, I need the pontoons from D.C. and Alexandria. I need them. I need them. They got to be there. Um, with the speed that he moves, that he's going to be delayed, delayed like ten days. And these pontoons are what getting loaded up on boats. They're supposed and to be loaded up down up the Potomac. Yep. Some are supposed to be coming over overland. Okay. Um, some some are coming down the Potomac, but they're is not. This, is this a little similar? And we haven't covered it yet. But is this a little similar to what happens in May of '64, the spring into summer of '64 with Transportation issues with, like, with uh, Bermuda Hundred and getting uh, a pontoons. little bit, okay, a little bit more, more or less. What happens is the orders are a little bit delayed. No one really knows where the pontoons actually are. They're not where they thought, <laughs> and when they finally do get them, they didn't give the guys enough time. Um, Woodbury's like, I, I, 
I got to have time. Yeah. You know, I got to gather all this stuff. You're wanting all this stuff. I can't get it to you. I can't start out till the, like the 17th. Well, Burnside's already moved. So he's going to, he's going to, in two days, he'll make it to Fredericksburg from his movement. By the 17th, Burnside is in Fredericksburg, but he's got 10 days before those pontoons arrive. And Jackson's like a week's march away. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Jackson's quite, and you know, Longstreet's at Culpeper Courthouse. Yeah. When, when, the Union Army arrives at Fredericksburg. There is not even a thousand Confederates anywhere close to them. Yeah, but they can't cross. Hmm. That gives them time to get a hundred and thirty-five thousand men yeah. can't cross. Wow. Uh, so th- that's kind of our setup to why Fredericksburg's going to happen. Um, those pontoons don't arrive, and when they finally do, uh, Burnside will try a few things. He, he's going to look at, can I cross at the bottom, you know, south uh, on the Confederate left? Can I cross at the top? And, and nothing's just going to work out. He's afraid that those units that do cross are going to get cut off. Um, and the Rappahannock at this point is not fordable. It's not fordable. It's winter. That, yeah. And, and it had been raining and stuff too, muddy, snowy. Uh, that's another issue with the pontoons. It delays them, you know, those 10 days is the weather. And the, the roads uh, are disgusting. The only br- it looks like the only bridge from Fredericksburg to the Stafford County side, that was the one that was burned, destroyed. Um, the one that you'll see in the episode uh, cover photo, actually, um, the famous photo of Barksdale's Mississippians standing on the edge of that bridge, uh, getting their photo taken by Matthew Brady um, on the other side, and they're all just kind of standing there posing in, the, in a lull in the fire. Um, Letting a, a, a union man, I guess, uh, take their picture, and they're just all standing there. You can even, yeah. if you zoom in on that picture, I don't know if anybody's ever done that. There's a fellow off to the right hand side that's actually smiling in that picture, hmm. which is not something that you see in 1800s photography. Yeah, I don't. I never yeah. knew the story with that picture. So, yeah, yeah that's uh, Barksdale's Mississippians on the uh, end of the bridge that was blown or burned, destroyed, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're all standing on the end of that bridge embankment, just posing for a picture from the Union side. And then uh, if you look even closer, um, I guess it's a mill or a water mill, something, some sort of mill to the left up in the top window. There's uh, two fellows up there uh, of Barksdale's brigade just posted up in the window. But, yeah, if, yeah. I mean, and then with the map that we're looking at here of the 11th, obviously that's all Barksdale's uh, men there. And, I mean, it's mainly just a brigade holding yeah, yeah so the town, sixteen hundred men, maybe. Somewhere so Bark- this, Barksdale's guides are in in the town. Yeah, um, and and technically, there really you could say there's two bridges if you count the railroad bridge. Yeah, but both of those bridges have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, prior to them entering, before even Burnside gets in, there is a little cavalry uh, battle through there. Um, and that's kind of what the folks have seen. They've seen the armies kind of moving around, but Fredericksburg hasn't really experienced except for this little raid that comes through. And that's, that's actually how Burnside finds out there's no Confederates there other than this little contingent, which is, mm-hmm. is really nothing. Um, but yeah, once, once, uh, once Burnside gets there and he's set up along the Rappahannock, he's delayed. He can't do anything. Lee is going to start moving out. Longstreet is not going to move out. Uh, it's going to be four or five days before he even moves out uh, after Burnside's there. And so when Longstreet arrives, he's going to start setting up along Maury's Heights above the city. Um, wonderful, wonderful defensive position. 
And that's modern day, like University of Mary Washington, yep. correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, there's a stone wall there, Sunken Road. Um, there is still a little bit of the original stone wall there, but most of it has been uh, re revamped by the National Park Service to give it the look it had in 1862. Um, and then as, as it goes, Jackson... Uh, Jackson will actually stay in the valley a little bit longer simply because they, they're not 100% sure what Burnside's doing. They're not 100% sure that he is completely going to Fredericksburg. Is he going to, because he does make a feint toward Culpeper, which is what stalls the, the Confederates for a little bit. Uh, but once Jackson and Lee realize, hey, he's moving, Jackson will come out of the valley. And that'll actually be Stonewall Jackson's last time in the Shenandoah Valley. He'll cross at Newmarket Gap. And uh, he'll come east. Well, he has to go over another gap. Well. He's not out of the valley there. I know. He's out of <laughs> Thornton's Gap, but still. There you go. The still. I'm looking at Newmarket Gap because I like that gap better. <laughs> it's a nice gap. It is. Good gap. Um, Good gap. So, But that that's where uh, really the second corps of the Army in Northern Virginia will be established. Um, he'll get his nice uniform from Jeb Stewart. And... Uh, that was given to him, That's I believe, at Bunker Hill. Bunker Hill. Yeah. And he'll he'll have it on up there, you know, on the mountain. And there's a good, uh, a good um, and this will, I guess, be the book recommendation, or one of the book recommendations, because there's a couple here. Um, one I'm personally reading, uh, Memoirs of the Confederate War for Independence by Harris Von Bork. Um, those of you who don't know who he is, he was a uh, staff officer of Jeb Stewart's cavalry. Uh, he uh, actually came to the... Uh, Confederate States, United States, whatever you want to call it, uh, from Prussia, modern-day Germany, um, with the intent of joining the Confederate Army, ended up on Stuart's staff, um, and has just a fantastic memoir about the war, um, just very detailed, um, and we'll, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about his uh, recount of uh, the Battle of Fredericksburg, but speaking to Jackson's uniform being presented to him, he yeah. was present for that, he, um, he, he speaks very uh, in-depth about uh, their their adventures to bring him this uniform um, in the cold and everything in November and and uh, fording a river just to get him to get his uniform to him and everything and they present it to him and he at first is uh, obviously a very humble man so he doesn't know so much about you know I don't know if I like this because it's very flashy and very yeah, you know talking about Jackson yep, yeah yep Jackson's like Does, I don't know doesn't how much. actually put it on. <laughs> Yeah, he actually declined it at first because of how just nice it looked, and then they insisted that we're not leaving until you put this on. He tries it on and, you know, walks out through the camp, and all the men are cheering and just, like, hooting and hollering and just, you know, giving him hell for it. But, uh, I mean, that's that's where that, that story comes from. It was in Bunker Hill, Virginia, now West Virginia. Well, when he arrives uh, in Fredericksburg, Lee and Longstreet are going to notice that uniform, the gilded kepi and all that. Hadn't seen him since, yeah. And it's going to be pointed out that he's not, you know, he doesn't look his raggedy self (laughs) (laughs) that he has, you know, in in prior campaigns. Um, So, uh, and there's a a great relationship between Jeb Stewart and Stonewall Jackson that uh, is definitely worth exploring. Um, They uh, definitely have have a, a special bond. Mm-hmm. Which is which is cool. Jack Jack and I have talked about that before. About um, I actually I'd love to write a book on it. Just just that by itself could be a great book. Um, 
But anyway, sorry. Yeah, that, that was that was actually not to not to stay on the subject, but that was one thing that Von Bork had mentioned was that um, Stewart had a relationship with Jackson that not anybody else could could pull off. The the he yeah. would pick on him, give him a little a little heckling here and there. It's like a, just a friendly little nudging. That if anybody else did that, that wouldn't fly. Yeah. But Stewart had that kind of charisma to him that he could. He could, you know, pick yeah. on him a little bit, but in a friendly manner, and Jackson would just laugh it off. And well, and Jackson gave it back to him a couple of times. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah. that's that's why I recommend that book. Is I mean, it's just a fantastic window into the lives of those who were there. Um, just and it, it's just very candid in terms of just the day to day that they that they lived um, through that through that war and that conflict up until I guess von Bork's wounding at Middleburg. I guess is where that kind of cuts off. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some great information mm-hmm. up until June of 1863 in that book that I would I would recommend everybody check out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, December 11th is when uh, you're going to have the night of December 11th or the early morning. That's when you're going to have the Union Army's going to the, the pontoons have arrived. They've been there for since like the 27th. They're going to actually at night bring those things down and their equipment down to try to ford the river. Um, Opposing them, you mentioned Barksdale and the Mississippians. There's also going to be a little contingent of Floridians there um, hmm. who are uh, going to have a, kind of a rough time uh, during this. But uh, when they when they do this, um, Barksdale doesn't he, – he doesn't fire on them when they bring the stuff down. They're waiting. Uh, they're going to let the Yankees get you – know, quarter of the way across the river before they really start get a little comfortable first yeah get comfortable there's no firing nothing like that suddenly these mississippians are gonna open up and it's gonna be a hellish fire um and and you got to think these are engineers yes they're trained to fight but they're also these are skilled guys there's not a lot of backups for these guys on how to build these bridges how to put the boats in the right way they've got certain jobs um the 50th uh, I think it's the 50th New York um, engineers. There, or it might be, 50, yeah, I think it's the 50th New York. They're gonna, they're gonna get really hammered. They're in the middle, uh, so they're right there at the town. They are gonna get hammered uh, and lose a lot of men during that time. And Barksdale's gonna keep it up. And what what ends up happening is now you're gonna have the first real bombardment of a city it, like the you know there's like 179 cannons i think they're going to open up on the city of fredericksburg uh, to try to drive the rebels out it's not going to work i mean they're going to destroy a good bit of the city there's going to be a portion of the city's just leveled basically mm-hmm. but Barksdale's men they just hunker down they pop back up union troops think they've driven them out they start firing again and this is all on the 11th and some on the 12th um, throughout those two days, there's a lot of heavy skirmishing going on. Uh, Barksdale could have simply went back once, once they really started coming across, he could have simply went back and got up in the Confederate line on Mari's Heights uh, and out to the extension, but chose not to chose not to what happens, Aaron, huh? What happens? Well, he stays there and we get, uh, fighting in the town. Some of the first, the first urban combat, urban combat. Yeah. So, that is where I would say this is a ter- one of our turning points. The first one is the, going to be before the, the urban combat, the, the bombardment of the city. Well, this is—it's not the first time a city's bombarded, no, no, no. but 
isn't to the, that extent. The the landing the opposed, itself. Yeah, the land the opposed the bridgehead. That is the first time yeah. a bridgehead is established under fire. Under fire. Uh in the United for the United States. Um and that's that happens at Fredericksburg. And then you have the urban warfare. Yeah. So then they get and Barksdale's guys are taken to you know, the corners of buildings and the second floors and the basements and, you know, they're hiding, but strategically and purposefully. Inch by inch. And, yeah. and Block by block, I think, is what, what they have. In the oh, movies. yeah. It's block. And I, not even a movie recommendation. It's terrible. And people hate this movie. But my, it's my generation, I think, of young historians is gods and generals. Yeah. And if you just watch the Fredericksburg scene, I don't know. I mean. I enjoy it. I think the it's crossing well and then the street stuff, it always stuck with me. It and is. that's what I'm picturing as we're looking at it and, now. And it is. Ron Maxwell did a great job in that aspect yeah. of Fredericksburg because, on top of you have the ransacking. Now there's orders oh, yeah. to stop that. There's orders. The generals are saying, "Don't do that." So, yeah, let's get let's get to that. But Bark the Steel's guys, yeah, they're starting. They have to fall back. They, they push back and they go back they to the Confederate get, defensive yep. line at the sunken sunken road. Yep. So now your bridgehead's established, and the town's occupied. Yeah. And there's going to be some alcohol involved. I'm some sure. Bur- I'm sure some probably bourbon. Some, bourbon. Probably some Bowman Brothers bourbon is there. <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe we know there's no. a distillery there now, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, Looting, they, yeah. I mean, there's going to be looting. They're they're just going to ransack the place, uh, and it's 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 a deplorable um, thing that happens where the uh, the the generals are disgusted. Uh, even Burnside's kind of disgusted with it because you know. But he's he's thinking overall stuff. He's got a lot on his plate, um, and you know. What's the reason for this? Do we know? Do we like? Is this something that would have happened if these men had, I don't know, a commander they liked, like McClellan? Like, would they have done something like this if McClellan was in charge, or is this something Didn't that was um, his authority? I think it just happened, honestly. And I it just—it's kind of that shark mentality. One guy starts doing it. It's—it's it's similar to to a riot. Things start small and then grow bigger. Um, you know, a couple people do, and then it just becomes a shark frenzy. It not just rides; it happens. Human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody goes and starts doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and and it gets out of hand. Um, so I would say that's that's probably where that started, more or less. Yeah. Um, because Burnside at that point is not he's not he's not uh, looked down upon. Um, he's kind of in a rock and a hard place. You know, he beat the Confederate Army here, and he can't cross. So he's got to revamp all his plans. His plan was to cross at Fredericksburg, not even fight a battle there, and go to Richmond, get on Lee's flank. Mm-hmm. And uh, he can't do that. So now we're at Fredericksburg. So now he's he's got to force a crossing. Um, the big problem is, is his orders. Uh, he's going to give his orders in writing, and they're not going to make any sense. The, the Union plan is very simple. We're going to cross at these pontoon bridges. The right side is going to attack the Confederate left, Longstreet, Maurice Heights. They're going to pin those Confederates down. The left side of our army, down here with Reynolds, uh, George Meade, and Gibbon, they're going to attack the Confederate right where Jackson is and roll up the, roll up the Confederate army. That's the simple plan. Um, <laughs> and they're going, to, they're going to have Hooker kind of coming in the middle there. And... But it's, it seems like a very simple plan. However, when Burnside writes his orders, it's very confusing. Um, 
Sumner, who's who's uh, on the far right of the Union line, he's got the uh, one of the Grand Divisions there, the the right Grand Division. He's like he's told to go up and and pin those Confederates down and and not necessarily. I mean, yes, take the heights, but he's he's supposed to engage them. Basically, you're supposed to have mass casualties while we do this on the other side, um, and that's not. <laughs> I mean, yes, you have 135,000 men or so, but that's not a uh, not a smart idea. The other problem is the crossing itself. Once those troops are across, they're in the town. the The Confederate Army is going to see them. They're going to they're the Federals are going to occupy that plain below uh, Maury's Heights. They're I mean, it's just a massive army. But the problem is when they have to cross. There's some creeks. There's little bridges. They have to cross at a brigade at a time. So when these first attacks happen, they're not happening by division. They're, they're just happening by brigades. Brigade. That's it. Um, so it's one brigade each time, and, and it does not change. Um, you'll have, gosh, you're going to have hum, uh, you're going to have Getty, Griffin, uh, eventually Humphreys. You'll have Hancock, Sturgis, French, Howard. All these guys are going to attack Maury's Heights during this time. And it's all, they have to get it by brigade by brigade by brigade. Um, you know, A.A. Uh, a. Humphrey, I think, actually makes one of the best quotes of the Civil War during this. Uh, before he crosses, or as he's crossing, he's, he's leading his men on horseback. And he says he felt like a 16-year-old girl about to go to her first ball. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty, and, and Humphrey writes, writes some really good memoirs of, Gettysburg and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, a Humphrey's been around, but that, that quote, I mean, I don't know that I would feel that way. Um, cause you look at the Confederate side and you think about the dispositions they have with the artillery just at Maury's Heights. Uh, Lee actually did not like those dispositions originally from Alexander. He actually says he thinks the guns would be better back. And Alexander says, oh, okay. He never moves the guns, keeps <laughs> them where they're at. Um, he just kind of, you know, placates the commander a little bit, and then he tells the guy, don't redig the trenches, leave the guns where they're at, um, which works out. But Alexander, you know, we have Humphrey going, I feel like a, a girl going to a ball, and then Alexander's over here going, hey, a chicken can't live on that field, yeah. you give me enough ammunition. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know? to talk a little bit about a modern-day view of, of the site, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about preservation, but um, the town – back straight up to to the sunken road practically um so you don't get that field of view i mean you had uh, a lot of obstacles in the way not not modern roads and houses and 7-elevens but yeah you had a mill race the fairgrounds the fairgrounds fence was an obstacle and then as well as you know the confederates had uh the stone wall with them being in a sunken road um so it was just a, a recipe for disaster um which brings up another point, the stone wall kind of, and they, they dug a trench behind it. This is kind of your opening to that trench warfare mm-hmm. more than, I mean, yes, they were in a sunken road and used that natural road at Antietam, but this is, this is a formidable trench, yeah. formidable wall. So there's another piece. And they're three deep. We're st- they're three deep. Yeah. Yeah. We're starting to kind of change our, our war aims. Um, the other part of this that, that kind of gets lost is Lincoln really needs a victory. Yes, we had Antietam. What do you do after Antietam? The Preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. 
That's supposed to be signed January 1st, 1863. We're in December of 62. This needs to be a victory. Now, Lincoln will go ahead and sign. It doesn't really change that outcome uh, for the most part, but Lincoln will, will go ahead and sign that in January. But with a victory of this, that takes, it just takes all a whole new meaning. Um, we might not have the Civil War as far down, you know, two more years as, as we do, mm-hmm. you know, after Fredericksburg. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think also Longstreet says, give me enough ammunition and I'll kill them all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so the Confederates are very confident. Uh, they're not a ner- nervous schoolgirl getting ready to go to their first ball. Uh, as, as well, I mean, if you're right, I, that and quote it makes is sense. crazy. It makes sense, you know. I mean, I'd be nervous too if I'm right. When I first read that quote, I was like, "Oh, then he dies." Well, like, and then he dies. But I mean, he makes it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Humphrey's uh, great memoirs. And the Confederates had their position just figured out. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got that at the sunken road with the wall, and then as you said, three deep. For those that don't know what that means, there was three rows deep of Confederate soldiers with rifles ready to fire. Yeah, basically, they're and they're just hand handing them. one off to the next guy. He shoots, hands it back. Again, to I will, yeah, reference gods and generals. They depict that in that they film, do, as and well. they do a very good job with that as well. Yeah, yeah. shout out Ron. So yeah. I mean, it's just a constant, <laughs> good. a constant rain of fire. There's no uh, reload time there because as you're firing and passing it back, the next rifle is already reloaded and ready to go. So the, I mean, you're just you just have a constant pouring of fire just onto a sheet of fire coming. I mean, it's ridge. you you can't attack that. And, and they had said, um, at least in I think von Bork's memoirs, they said wait until they're at least thirty to forty yards mm-hmm. away before you fire. So they're I mean they're already too close. I mean they're well within range of rifled muskets for sure, but so close that if you turn and run at that point. You're still within uh, range. Oh yeah, and I then mean, you're, you're just you're just screwing yourself one way or the other. And well, it's think about it too, Aaron. They're basically like Aaron said. They're feeding them in piecemeal because mm-hmm. they have to. Yeah. By brigade, so yeah, each brigade, brigade that's getting slaughtered and pushed back, the next one that's going in is then going over those soldiers just laying in that wasteland. That no, mm-hmm. it's basically a no man's land in a way. So each brigade is at a disadvantage because they've got more obstacles being the bodies that. That were and then charging in front of them, you the know? obstacles that already existed, like we discussed. Exactly. So, so yeah, yeah and, and you'll have. Um, I've I've got to point them out because I'm, I've got a little Irish in my blood, but the Irish Brigade, yeah, yep. they will attack. Um, they will they will put little uh, things of boxwood in their in their caps as they charge. They'll actually get farther than a couple of the other units. Uh, they'll get a pretty good ways up there. Um, but they're still, it's still the same. The, the outcome is still the same. Um, now, while all that's happening, some other things happen off to our right, where Jackson is. Uh, first off, um, and you'll, you'll, I know you know this guy, uh, Elijah. You have the uh, young man by the name of John Pelham. Mm-hmm. Pelham. Pelham. Sorry, I always say Pelham. Pelham. I always say Pelham. Boy, Pelham. you're about to get destroyed. Uh, <laughs> hey, Pelham. Anyway, the gallant, the gallant. The gallant. Uh-huh. Now he gets that name after this battle, uh, during this battle. According, I Lee. thought, uh, was it Stewart referred to him as that early it's on? Lee. Lee. Yeah, he gets that at this battle. Okay, yeah. I'm so, wrong. I'm yeah, wrong. So he, Shut up, Jack. He comes that. out. Uh, <laughs> he, com- he comes out with one gun and starts 
just pounding the Union Army. I mean, he's he like pu- he pushed forward with yeah. that gun by himself. Yeah, actually, and it pretty... becomes it becomes uh, Pelham's corner. Well, <laughs> so to yeah. set it up, like if you know if you're sitting at you know a table with somebody, like Aaron and I are sitting at this table we're recording at right now. I'm the Confederates. He's the Federals. Pelham is sitting at the end. He's he, Elijah. Yeah, he's life. he's not Pelham's one lone gun is not just one gun firing down with the Confederates being silent. He's moving to a position, like you mm-hmm. said, Pelham's corner, which is just insane. Like Medal of Honor were the in a sense. Yeah. And, and the corner only, is still there. Yeah. Barely. There's a cannon that sets at the corner. Is it all developed around it? Oh yeah. God, what is going on out there? And he's yeah. what, 22, 23? Yeah, he's very young. And he's killed age? months later and Kelly's, Kelly's Ford. Ford yeah. um, but yeah, he he's Lee refers to him, doesn't refer to him by rank or anything, and just says the gallant Pelton. And this is interesting too in Von Bork's memoirs, because obviously they're in the same, mm-hmm. you know, they're in Stuart's cavalry. They know each other very well. Um he talks about Pelham being just so eager to fire on on the Federals uh, with his artillery, he's just like let me at him. And like and 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 von Bork is saying how he's wanting to kick this ball off by being the one to open up the artillery fire, while Jackson's saying no, hang tight, just wait. And then uh, it gets to the point. Um, von Bork at this point in the battle is so just anxiety ridden because he thinks the Federals really had the advantage here with. What, the fact that they've made it across the river, they're amassing down by the banks. They're getting ready to attack. He himself is is uh, a little panic stricken, and he tells Jackson uh, just his fears and stuff, and uh, just, hey, like this is what I think of the situation. And uh, in his memoirs, he says, upon meeting, uh, or upon my mentioning this feeling to Jackson, the old chief answered me in his characteristic way. Major, my men have sometimes failed to take a position, but to defend one, never. I am glad the Yankees are coming. He then gave me orders for Stuart to employ his horse artillery and open fire on the enemies at once. So at that point, Pelham opens fire um, with his artillery. But, I mean, that just shows you how, how confident Jackson in it, yeah. Jackson is in his men um, to hold the position that they're at and how strongly fortified they are on these heights uh, surrounding Fredericksburg. But Well... And before we get into the attack that's going to happen there, another point about Pelham is you see, you know, we've got the maps here. We can see Doubleday. Mm-hmm. Doubleday is held back six thousand men because of one gun. Yeah, because of Pelham. Well, and it, it totally gives away. It gives away what the happening. Federals are doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and notice on the map here. I don't want to say anything's not saved because based off this map we have. It looks like the oh, Central yeah. Virginia Battlefield Trust, so CVBT, shout yes. out Central Virginia Battlefield Trust. Yep, Tim has, Yeah. Hey, they have some preserved land there. And I looked it up, Aaron and Elijah. American <laughs> Battlefield Trust website says, as early as 1862's Peninsula Campaign, Cavalry Chief Jeb Stewart was referring to his premier artillerist as, quote, the gallant Pelham for his bravery. At Fredericksburg, Pelham's daring... Oh, at Fredericksburg, Pelham's... Daring promoted Robert E. Lee, prompted Robert E. Lee to remark, It is glorious to see such young, such courage in one so young. Mm-hmm. Boom. Well, so it didn't count until Robert E. Lee. I guess. Okay, saying. I'll go with you on that. I'll go with you Commanding on that. Commanding general. Sorry, ABT. Aaron Seaver says Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Lee is the. So I, I think. Uh, so, slaughter. So, we're, we're now moving to what? This is the southern end of the battlefield, technically. Southern end of the battlefield. Southern, Prospect Hill. 
Um, also known as Dead Horse Hill. Dead Horse Hill. And, um, you know, in, in between that, you also have, you know, we have Maury's Heights, you have uh, Lee's Hill, and then Prospect Hill. Prospect is where Jackson is. Do they call it Jackson's Hill? Like on a... Bob Borg refers to it as I that. think, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Von Brooks... But that's, not, but that's not present day. Yeah. Whereas present day, Lee's Hill still yeah. exists. Jackson's Hill is not necessarily referred to yeah, as it's such. Just, it's called Prospect or Solder Pin. Um, um, one fun fact, at least, um, just to interject um, about... I like fun Stuart, facts. Stuart's horse artillery. And uh, um, if you're uh, an artillery enthusiast, uh, like some of us are, uh, Von Bork mentions in these memoirs... Uh, that one of their their guns, he specifically mentions what it was, and it was a Blakely gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you that don't know what that is, that is an English uh, artillery piece imported from England, something that's very rare to hear about in the American Civil War, um, and their artillery shells are much even rarer to find um, as archaeologists or uh, metal detectorists. Um, but that one was uh, a, a gun that was present at uh, the Battle of Fredericksburg, and von Bork mentions that it was disabled um, just due to the overwhelming artillery fire from Stafford Heights. Um, but the fact that one of those guns was there is just a cool mm-hmm. piece of information just to see because that's not an, an artillery piece that you hear about often just because it's being an imported gun from England. Anyhow. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that is... Uh, they're, they're cool guns if you ever get to see one. Um, they're, they're pretty neat looking. The shells, too. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they're a unique-looking uh, piece of artillery. Uh if you look, you know, we, we see the line, you know, we know about Maury's Heights. We know Longstreet's there. Lee has got some Longstreet um, on Lee's Hill. But the hinge uh, between Jackson and Longstreet is going to be John Bell Hood. Um, now, Hood is going to split his his divisions, uh, his brigades up, to be able to support either Longstreet or Jackson, um, depending on how he does. And Lee's going to go over that. Uh, a lot with him and expect him to be ready to go. Lee's also going to talk to Pickett and he's just going to basically give Pickett dispositions of this is what I need you to do. Mm. Watch what Hood's doing. Um, the other big problem, and I know uh, Jack, you you know a good bit about this, I think, is the gap between the Confederate lines um, and Jackson's lines. You know, the swamp area. Oh, yes. 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 Um, so it, it was deemed, uh, you know, that it, it, it wasn't of military use. Like, nobody's coming through there. This um, is on the Confederate right? On the Confederate right. So the Confederate high-ups said, oh. they're good. Yeah, that we don't have to worry about this swamp area. Nobody's coming through there. Well, there's this guy who gets a lot of fame later. George Gordon Meade. Guess where he decides to go? The swamp. The swamp. He comes right up through there. Um, and, and honestly, this is, t- to me, probably the Union's greatest chance to actually do something. The problem is he's unsupported. Hey, there's no support that comes up. Uh, it's later, just Meade's it's guys. It's just Meade's guys. Later, Gibbons guys will come up and try the same thing. Again, not support it. Um, not to to poo poo on John Reynolds too much on that one, but I don't know what the I don't know what happened there. Uh, Reynolds is a great general, so I don't know if if because Doubleday has had to be pulled back um, because of Pelham, I, that could be a factor in it. Uh, but heavy fighting is going to occur right there along the railroad area and what what is now known as the Slaughter Pen Farm. Um, 
is what we call it. And the American Battlefield Trust has done a great job of, of helping preserve that. Over 200 acres, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I know you've you've looked into it a little bit, Jack, with yeah, the Slaughter Pen Farm. Let me pull up a little bit of history on the Slaughter Pen Farm. Great trail. If you've never been there, definitely go out there and walk it. It's it's more of an open area than than what we mm-hmm. see at Fredericksburg. Um, and it's, it's a really good, right up against the railroad. Um, you're going to have Meade attacking Greg and Lawton and Early's uh, troops there. Gibbon eventually just down the line is going to attack Lane. Um, it's it's going to be very heavy fighting there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of going to be, as much as I hate to say it, it's going to be similar to like a Gettysburg type thing for Meade, except that, um, you know, the attack, basically because the attacks are not supported. If you look at Pickett's um, charge or Pickett Pettigrew Trimble charge at Gettysburg, it ends up not really being supported as some of the units don't come forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have a very similar thing happen here. Although I would say uh, George Meade is probably a better general than George Pickett. Who fills the gap? Um, I believe it's it early, is right? Be early, and then uh, you'll have Tolliver coming up uh, toward Lane. Tolliver? Uh, no, I'm just uh, kidding. Tolliver. And D.H. Hill is in reserve. He's going to come up as well. Um, really the worst, <laughs> I hate to say this, but the, the worst general on that side, uh, he's going to be new to command, is going to be Brockenbro. He never really develops as a, as a good commander. Um, everybody else there, Archer, Lawton, Greg, Thomas, Lane, Pender, early, they're all pretty stout, stout you know, stout fighters. Um, not to say Brockenbro's not, but he's just not, he's not at their level. Um, so that's, that's your weak point on Jackson's side. And uh, I guess luckily for the Confederates, he was all the way to the right near Hamilton's crossing. So now this is some terrible fighting though. I mean, yes. like when people think Fredericksburg, they obviously think Murray's Heights and mm-hmm. the sunken road and things like that. But There's I mean, so much more further. This, piece oh, gets lost. this yeah. is, this gets lost and forgotten. Mm-hmm. And, but this is really where some heavy, heavy combat takes place. I mean, five Medal of Honors are awarded to federal troops just within the Slaughter Pen Farm, um, which is which is crazy. Um, so this is just some tenacious, terrible fighting, but it's it's a part of the battle, and it often gets overlooked. I mean, it wasn't until early on in me exploring other battles besides the ones in the valley, I learned that there was this whole other side of the battlefield, which I thought was wild. Yeah, and, and when you go out there to drive the, the battlefield— it takes you a little bit to get there. The battlefield's quite large. Mm-hmm. Quite separated. Um, and it's very separated. You can go up. I mean, you can go up to Lee's Hill. You can go to the Slaughter Pen Farm. Uh, again, shout out to ABT on, on saving that. That's a huge save. Yeah, a little bit of numbers here. In 2006, CWPT, which is a Civil War Preservation Trust, now the, ABT. which became the Civil War Trust, which became the American Battlefield Trust, which became... Intergalactic Preservation Organization. I was say, they haven't <laughs> they changed just it keep, yet. Eventually, just keep going. the name will change again. No, no, no. <laughs> I think they're, I don't know. I mean, the World Battlefield Trust. Maybe. Um, you know, maybe. You know. Go worldwide. Can't guys. stop Edelman. Um, <laughs> a uh, $12 million project this was. This was 205 acres of the Slaughter Pen Farm, also known as the Pearson Tract. Uh, for folks in the preservation world, that is normally the name of the landowner they're buying it from. Um yeah, 205 acres, crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, this is some, like, all that fighting we were just talking about takes place a lot on this property. Gibbons guys and, and, and uh, you know, Lane and uh, Hills men. Um, 
you know, 5,000 casualties are going to take place just on that field alone. Um, and it was the, you know, the North, North's best chances of winning the battle of Fredericksburg was here at Slaughter Pen yeah. Farm. Um, Slaughter Pen Farm was considered the largest remaining unprotected part of the Fredericksburg battlefield. And it was also the only place on the battlefield where a visitor can still follow the Union assault from December 13th, beginning to end, which is pretty impressive. Like we said, with the stuff in the town, um, you got to drive through streets and neighborhoods and parking lots just to get like within feet of, you know, of certain points. Yeah. yeah. If you, you know, you can only probably go 30 yards to towards the town from the stone wall before you hit development. So this was huge. Um, 2006 comes along they get a ton of grants, uh, ABPP, which is the American battlefield protection program, uh, brought some grants in for that. I think, uh, the central Virginia battlefield trust is, is mm-hmm. stated here by committing a million dollars toward the preservation of the slaughter pen farm. Um, in addition to all of this, ABT has been able to preserve, um, five additional parcels, uh, totaling 40 acres. So now this adds up to about 248 acres of preserved land at Fredericksburg, um, done through, you know, nonprofits like the ABT and Civil War Preservation, um, sorry, Central Virginia Battlefield Trust, um, amazing work. And, uh, you know, yeah, awesome. I just, I've never been in the Slaughter Pen Farm. I know that there's been some living history events hosted there over yeah, the year. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that, like, if you get a chance to go out there, I don't think oh. they're doing one this year. Yeah. Um, it might be every other year, but that's, I, I personally have not seen, I've seen the pictures. Um, I've been have on Have they torn the down the houses there? I haven't been there in a little while, so I I don't know for yeah. sure. I know there was some stuff in the works on it. But that. I mean it's two hundred acres of like pretty it's, much it's flat open land. Open mm-hmm. farmland, yeah. And you can just picture these attacks taking place all on this ground. The early morning fighting between um Lane's men with with Gibbons men and then mm-hmm. just the, the back and forth, the flank attacks between Confederates to the Federals on that property. Um it's a pretty from what it looks like you can get a pretty panoramic interpretation of of that side of the battlefield fighting and i think they've updated their signage out there as well uh when i was out there years ago they had signs out through civil war trail signs uh through through the battlefield um and so i'm sure they've added to it since then um I'm happy to say I was kind of one of the first ones to get to walk on there. You know, once it became a, I think, uh, and I think it's paid seven, off now. Eight, yeah, I know yeah. they were fundraising yeah, there's, for there's a while. A lot of appeals going out. Twelve million dollars is a little yeah. crazy. But you know what? For what that is, well, I mean, Fredericksburg. I mean, that's crucial. Money is money. Yeah, it is what it is. It's paper. The, that's <laughs> that's that. In the end, that that's hollow ground. Hallowed. Yeah. Hallowed ground. Well, there is some hollows there. Uh, <laughs> one, one thing to mention, it's too, about, about Meade's charge through that swampy bottom, um, Von Bork, obviously, as we talk about this memoir, also mentions that um, he and Stewart are kind of surveying that end of the Confederate lines, looking mm-hmm. for an opportunity for them to attack the Federals on that are just stuck on the bank. And they're eager to just you know hop their works and just run down through the plain and, and attack them. And this swampy bottom is one of those spots that he thinks is a, a formidable uh, 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 area with the fewest obstacles available, yeah. obviously some farm fences and stuff, until they realize this is a wet ground, horses' uh, hooves are going to get sink. stuck in the, in the mud, we can't do this. Um, but all the while, Stewart is just so just 
fascinated with just wanting to attack and go on the offensive here. Whereas, you know, Lee and Jackson and the other commanders are going to have to rein him back in and say, like, we can just fight this defensively and be okay. We don't need to attack them. Um, And I think they even do do a little bit of an an attack in the evening. Yeah. Although it was, uh, and Von Bork mentions this, that this was, by the time they eventually carried out that attack, it was much too late. They should have acted sooner uh, for it to be uh, really effective. But that's that ground right there where Meade is attacking across that swampy bottom is where if you end up reading this memoir, he is discussing is that same, same yeah. ground there. Um, and you, you know, really like you guys were saying earlier, we're kind of, you kind of leaving this open because really you can break this battle down. Oh yeah. I we're mean, not even can, hitting you the can surface. Do Maurice, you can just, just the crossing. You can talk about the Floridians. They're at the crossing with the skirmishing. and Well, you're giving it away now. You we know, can't you can save it if that. you're talking no, about it. No, I'm saying you can, you <laughs> can talk about that. Um, you know, you For can sure, talk about yeah. that because that's a little contingent there that nobody – I mean, there's guys from Florida fighting in Fredericksburg. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can break it down to what happens in the middle with Hooker and all the way – you know, we could go into more detail with Meade and Gibbon. Um, well, what – so, so after this, this is the 13th. Mm-hmm. What happens next? So really, at that point, um, the Confederates are expecting on the 14th, 15th, that there are going to be more fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the 16th, Burnside's pulled back. Um, yeah. it, the, the devastation, uh, just to put it in numbers here, we've got more than 13,000 casualties on the Union side. Mm-hmm. We have less, so about 4,500, maybe 5,000 on the Confederates total. Yeah. Now, Lincoln will say that with the amount of men, and if you do the math, with the amount of men that Burnside had, had he continued to attack and, and the casualties stayed the same, eventually yeah. a war of attrition would have worked, um, but at devastating cost. And this is already a debacle. <laughs> and this was something that Von Bork and the, the Confederate generals themselves uh, kind of mentioned was that Burnside was, as it was, already kind of just expending lives yeah. frivolously. And they said that all the while he's uh, kind of taking refuge in his headquarters away from the battlefield, um, kind yeah. of uh, uh, um, ostracizing him for, oh, it's easy for you to send these men to die while you're sending these orders from a house mm-hmm. far off from the battlefield away from the danger. Um, but that that ends up being... Part of it was yeah. was the, the damage done already was more than enough, so there's no sense in, in wasting more lives for maybe a victory. Yeah, you know, and and that actually brings up another point of you know you asked about what happens after this that night the 13th um, you're going to have a gentleman by the name of Kirkland who's going to become the angel of the battlefield is what they call him. Um, he is he, the cries of the wounded on the Union side are terrible and get to him real quick and and he's going to go across that wall south carolinian right? south carolinian so this is back in town i mean back close in to town, town up at maury's heights he's going to cross the cross the wall and he's going to go and he's going to give water and he's actually going to get cheered by both sides yeah. they're they're at first he gets shot at of course <laughs> um but then eventually every time he crossed the wall the shooting stopped he was helping the win and then some shooting would resume once he but as soon as he was coming back across they'd stop um and you know Number one, uh, we were talking about Medal of Honor things, whether he's a Confederate or a Union soldier, um, that, that's Medal of Honor worthy right there. That's brave to go yeah. across that. And it doesn't matter what uniform they're wearing. 
he he saw a human in need and went over there. Yeah. Um, and and that that just speaks volumes to how personal the American Civil War is. You know how how it can touch you, uh, even if you're you're a soldier on the opposing side. You, you know your humanity doesn't completely. Oh yeah, off. these these were human beings. These they were weren't citizens. just bodies. Yep. Yeah, and um, I think there's a great Lee quote from this battle um, that Lee, um, you know, after witnessing this terrible, terrible, you know, battle take place, Lee says to Longstreet. Um, it is well that war is so terrible or we would grow too fond of it. Yeah. So that's, that was one quote that I, you know, if you read it really quick, you're like, what, what is Lee saying? We would like war, but it's like, you know, the whole idea and, and yeah. when you break it down, I actually look at it and then makes realize sense. the context. It's yeah, it's, it's said perfectly. Um, yeah. So anything else, Frederick's, I mean, um, like I said, you could really break this down even into more. I mean, well, we can. I mean, and, and diving into the aftermath is a totally different episode, oh, yeah. and how it ties into uh, Hooker coming on board, and then the mud march, and blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, I mean, we now, could. We could. That's a whole different. Now we talked about the mentality of the of the Union Army before that, with with whether they were, you know, they ransacked Fredericksburg. Is that because they don't really respect Burnside, or is that because they miss McClellan? Whatever. By the end of this battle. They don't really respect Burnside. Um, oh yeah, especially after that. Yeah, after that, he's. I mean, it's basically he is willing to sacrifice as many lives as possible to win this battle. Yeah, I mean, there's um, the the Federals are coming out with twelve thousand six hundred and fifty three yeah. casualties, like yeah. just to send them to the Crazy. slaughter, you know, for maybe maybe getting the dub, in yep. a way. Um, Confederates will walk it's away crazy. with five thousand in 5, comparison 000. to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just out of you know Confederates had about almost almost eighty thousand. Um, some estimates get down to the seventy thousand range yeah. of troops engaged, and then um, you know reporting for combat technically is one hundred and twenty-two thousand for the Federals. Estimated engaged is around one hundred and fourteen thousand, but still, yeah. I mean, but these are these are the odds. These are this this numbers. is but these yeah. are the odds that the Confederates are coming up against most of the war. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, for the first yeah. year and a half or however long this is into, into it, um, this is nothing crazy that they haven't come up against. Yeah. Well, I mean, size-wise, yes, but the difference, you know. There are a few battles where the Confederates outnumber. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't. Army. I cannot name one. Uh, well, here in the Valley in 62, Jackson. Oh, well. Have, well. Individual armies, though. Okay. Okay. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and the other one would be Pea Ridge. Pea Ridge, they outnumber, Confederates outnumber them vastly. Yeah, um, but anyway, that's a way topic. out west. <laughs> yep, yeah. way out west. Way out, yeah. I, feel like should, I feel like we should do an episode about Pea Ridge. I really think we should. <laughs> One of these days, coming soon. Coming yeah. soon. Well, so um, you get to talk about that. There's <laughs> a uh, we we gave the book recommendation. Um, uh, but there's another one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Aaron, do you have another one? I do. Uh, shout out, shout out to my friend. Uh, I love this guy as far as a tour guide at Fredericksburg, um, Mr. Frank O'Reilly. Uh, he wrote a book called The Fredericksburg Campaign, Winter War on the Rappahannock. Uh, great book, lots of detail. Frank is a park ranger at the battlefield, been on some tours with him. Um, and uh, he was a former drill sergeant, I believe. You can tell 
when he really gets amped up because you can hear him um, pretty far away. Um, he was given a tour at Chancellorsville uh, one time, and I was on the other end of, of Jackson's flank attack and could hear every word he said just clear as day. Um, so he, uh, when he gets amped up, it's great. Uh, but, yeah, Frank, if you're listening. Uh, He's not. You know, he might maybe be, he is. <laughs> uh, but, Frank, if you're listening, uh, you know, great book. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed reading uh, through this. Um, a lot of great information in there. He really gets into into the nitty gritty of, yeah. of what's happening in Fredericksburg. Well, we gave um, Gods and Generals was kind of a movie uh, recommendation, you know, for yeah, this a movie. Uh, it, it was well, no, a movie. No. <laughs> yeah, and and it does depict Fredericksburg, which is cool. It does. Uh, a second one I want to shout out is uh, Fredericksburg. A documentary film, which was, I think it was the Park Service film. Uh, it's got Scott Hartwig in it, I think. Um, Good author. Good and author. there's another film that goes with it, Making the Pontoon Bridge for Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. which is like kind of a behind the scenes for that film. Um, are those on History Fix? Oh my gosh, Aaron. Great. Yes, okay. they are. I thought so. If you wanted to watch those, which I would highly recommend, and that's not just me saying it to say it. Uh, when I first got History Fix which was about a year ago, um, that was like the first thing I watched. First, I watched Antietam, I think, maybe. Yeah. And um, then I watched Fred- the Fredericksburg film. And, oh, my gosh, I love that Fredericksburg film. And more important, I love the behind-the-scenes aspect. See what went into making those pontoons and, and bringing them down for those scenes they shot for the documentary for the Park Service film. Oh, it's It's, crazy. it's a great – and it's only about 30 minutes to watch that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know – it, they followed it to a T, how those pontoon bridges would have been yeah, built. I think, I think the Fredericksburg one is an hour and the pontoon one's like 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And those are on History Fix. Um, and we've talked about our friends over at History Fix in these past couple episodes, uh, specifically for Fredericksburg. Here's something you can watch directly with it. And if you wanted to go and watch some History Fix videos, specifically these Fredericksburg one, you all get, you listeners of the Battlefields and Bourbon podcast, get a seven-day risk-free trial uh that's if you use codes battlefield that's b-a-t-t-l-e-f-i-e-l-d battlefield um code battlefield you get 20 percent off your first annual subscription and with that you get a seven-day risk-free trial if you wanted to if you wanted to just try it out you get a seven-day risk-free trial and if you love it you love it go ahead and get it just go ahead and get history fix get it Use code Battlefield, that's B-A-T-T-L-E-F-I-E-L-D. You can watch the Fredericksburg documentary film, the Park Service film. You can watch more. more. And you you can watch the pontoon. You can watch the Fridays at the Front videos Mm -hmm. that uh, uh, Civil War Digital Digest is partnering with the Shenandoah Valley Battlefields Foundation, the wonderful sponsor of this podcast, and uh, preservation group of the Historic Bell House, which the podcast is based out of. Um, partnership on those. This is called Friday at the Fronts. They're great two, three-minute videos that are on there on History Fix that you can watch about some amazing sites here in the Shenandoah Valley. So if you don't have History Fix, what are you waiting for? Because Aaron's got it. I got it. Elijah, I'm not even going to ask you. Um, <laughs> but, but a lot of great stuff, like you said. It's, and it's, it's, it's not, not just Civil, Civil War. War. Oh, my gosh. There's World War One too. And, that, you know, um, as you become a, a 40-year-old man, my wife sent me this meme, you're either um, – a drunk or you're playing 
you're playing with your World War II or Civil War stuff, reading books and stuff. There you you're a historian. And watch so, the video. Are we both? That's, that's, we both? Uh, How can yeah. I be both? Well, yeah, I'm 22. Can. I think you can, Jack, if you, if you, uh, Give you us know, time. you were giving me a hard time about, about my pronunciation of words. You kind of Pronunci- struggle. Yeah, so you kind of struggled there through a battlefield. I was, um, I was even reading it off yeah, of he the was phone, and I couldn't it. even say so it. I, I can't help it with my valley accent. Sometimes words don't come out right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, uh, and, well. And uh, I don't know if I'm – am I allowed to give a shout-out to myself or my – Yeah, go check course. out Aaron Civil War Travels. You do. Do you have a Fredericksburg video? Yes. All right. We will. We yes. will Everything. share as, <laughs> that probably to our Facebook um, to check out one of Aaron's Fredericksburg videos, go check out all of Aaron's other videos. He's done videos from. Have you been out? Have you done your ones of Vicksburg? We did Vicksburg. So you've got done, from Vicksburg all oh, the way. We've got too. Alcatraz, California. All oh, the way. oh, yeah. so uh, yeah, Far west, you're coast to coast, baby. I'm coast to coast, man. Yeah, Aaron, go check out Aaron Civil War Travels. The way to support him is just by liking, following, subscribing his pages. Yep. Uh, comment ideas to him. Aaron loves doing those videos and he loves that people love watching them. Yeah. So no money um, involved. I just enjoy doing them. Exactly. Um, so the, that's Aaron's plug there. If uh, you want to support us, uh, become a member of the Shenandoah Valley Battlefields Foundation. Your membership helps support preservation and which in turn helps support this podcast. So uh, become a member. We just came out with uh, our end of the 2023 end of the year uh, Shenandoah, Shenandoah at War magazine. Uh, and the calendar so, is an amazing. Nice Twenty two. Oh, member. Yeah. yeah, member Elijah over here, uh, fellow member Elijah got his a lot calendar. Of great pictures. In so there. if you become a member now, like if you do it now, which now. like December of 2023, I can only guarantee it for December of 2023. Maybe a week <laughs> into January 2024, but I'm only guaranteeing Maybe. December 2023. If you become a member of the Shenandoah Valley Battlefields Foundation, company level membership is thirty five dollars. That's like. One trip to Starbucks. If you can lock that in, <laughs> it's a steal. You will get yeah. a great letter from our good man Franklin, who will be on the podcast at Only some point if it's in time. Written by him. Yeah, yeah, and you'll get our calendar and our magazine. So mm-hmm. I can guarantee you'll get those and, and if you, you get, become a member, and you'll get next year's too. Which you'll is get a notifications about the conferences, things. I believe as a member, you get a you little get bit discounts yeah. at those events that are. Uh, conferences and, and, and our conference are pretty program. good. So. Yeah, pretty pretty top notch stuff. Yeah. Um. So just go ahead and do that, and you'll be our best friends. So, um. Yeah, we appreciate you all listening, liking, uh, you know, interacting with us. This is this is a lot of fun for us to do. Uh, this is like Aaron's hundredth time on here, so you're kind of just an honorary <laughs> Coco host. Yeah, um. Coco. But but we appreciate you know we hope everyone enjoys it. A Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday season. We'll be coming with uh, one more episode um, for the end of 2023 here, uh, I think right after Christmas or before Christmas. Something like that. Something like yeah. that. Towards the end of the month, our, our Close to it. last episode of the year. So we appreciate you guys walking this mile with us to the end of the year. Uh, this has been a fun experience for both Elijah and I. Um, any final thoughts on the uh, Bowman Brothers uh, small batch? Fantastic bourbon. If you haven't tried it, get it. Um and anything else you can find from Bowman, whether it be their small batch, port finished, or the single barrel. I mean, if you're lucky enough to find the John Jay, do it. Get as many as you can. Treat yourself. Um, and last thing, just uh, if, you, if you are listening to this and you enjoyed this episode, um, 
just give us a, a review on uh, yeah. Apple Podcasts, Those Spotify, five stars, whatever you want, whatever you think we did for you. I mean, we um, we think we did six, but you you can't do that. Course, so just go ahead. And I give think us those a are five. only the episodes I'm yeah. on. But provide your <laughs> feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um, and and it helps us bring more co- good content to you. Um, but at the end of the day, we just appreciate your support. Yeah, yeah, and share us as well. Share us on Facebook and. Instagram and share the podcast around. Let people listen. And if you have any ideas, like Elijah said, just hit us up at our at our emails or just in the comments of stuff. Just let us know what you'd like to hear and what you'd like us to review. Uh, we're always open to ideas. And um, and we're yeah. working on the stickers. Don't worry. I promise. We're yeah. working on them. If you we haven't forgotten about you, <laughs> what episode was that? Last it was the archaeology episode. It was the archaeology episode. If you, two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. If you listen to that all the way through, there was a secret word in there. I'm not going to say it. And if you emailed that word to us, you would receive a sticker. We're working on that. We've got full-time jobs. This is a little fun side thing. We're getting to it, guys. We're getting to the stickers. So uh, bear with us on that. But if you want to, if you haven't listened to that episode and you want to get in on the fun, go ahead and listen to that all the way through. We won't even give you a time stamp of when to go to. you got to listen to the whole thing to figure it out. It's like in the middle or is it at the beginning? You'll never know until you listen. So go ahead and do that. If you like a free sticker, that's the archaeology episode. That episode was a lot of fun. And Nick's episode last uh, last uh, you know last episode a lot of cool um, artifacts in that one yeah oh yeah non yeah. stuff just cool stuff so go ahead and listen to our other stuff and uh, yeah leave us a review we really appreciate you all hanging in there with us listening to this and uh, you all make it fun and make it enjoyable for all of us so thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one thanks guys thank you.